0: it's already like 80 degrees. My, my favorite time of the year by far. I'm a Chicagoan, so I like cold weather. Everybody doing okay? Let me give the official Adam Russell greeting, which usually runs like this. Is everyone happy? And last week, I, I heard him. I was away. I was in Charlotte last week, but I heard on the audio archive, he even said, he said, I'll be angry if you're not happy. So... Uh, I trust uh, that you're happy. Otherwise, Adam will be angry. I won't be angry, but I'll report to him that uh, uh, that you uh, that you're not happy. So, um, man, I'm so blessed uh, by uh, the the worship, the tenderness, especially in that that last song. You know, there's a there's a point where the worship band actually just tries to follow what they believe is the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you know, the guy that runs the uh, the visuals, he'll take down the lyrics and the band will just riff on a particular phrase or something. Did you know that the Hebrew idea of meditation is to repeat the same phrase again and again and again until you get past whatever you think the meaning is, and then the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to us about that meaning. So, uh, you know, you may think that all you did was praise and worship from a musical standpoint, but when the band gets on those riffs or or when they try to go a given direction... You're actually engaging uh, in something that is at least close to uh, the Jewish, the Hebrew uh, type uh, uh, perspective on uh, meditation. So you've meditated today, even if you were tapping your foot. Is that all right? Okay. Well, um, what I, is, uh, I want to do today is I want to I want to ask a question. I want to a- ask what is it that we anticipate? And obviously, I'm going to get to this phrase, anticipating. Uh, God's mercy but here it is Sunday morning it's the 10th day by the way of the 10th month of the 10th year so this day 10 10 and 10 won't happen again for another 100 years Um, uh, Adam actually sent me a text message this morning uh, saying that he was made mindful of John's gospel chapter 10 verse 10 where it says uh, Jesus says I came that they might have life and that it might be abundant and uh, so I've got good news for you the abundance of God would be numerically poised to just pour into us today uh, because it's the 10, 10, 10. Uh, and it's true. The abundance of God, regardless of what the calendar says, is always poised to pour out of heaven and into earth. So I'm looking forward to that. That's one thing I'm anticipating. But, uh, you know, real life, what are you anticipating? Uh, I've got fantasy football this afternoon. I, I checked my fantasy football status to make sure I had all the players in the right place. I'm playing a guy from Rochester, Minnesota. And Mark Chu, you're going down today. Um, uh, what else are you anticipating? I'm anticipating my wife's birthday on uh, Friday. Uh, my bride uh, celebrates a, an anniversary of one of the anniversaries of her 29th birthday. And uh, we're... Uh, somebody really sweet to us gave us a gift certificate to go out to a restaurant, so we're going to go out uh, and, and have a really good evening, so I'm anticipating that. My seven-year-old, I'm not making this up five times this week, asked me, Daddy, when is Christmas? So, yeah, you know, I guess if you're in second grade and you begin to feel the weather turn even a little bit cold, you're anticipating Christmas. But what about the anticipation of God's mercy? And I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm just talking about as we go about our daily business, we all have anticipations. You've got a meeting that you've got to make. You've got a contract that you hope comes through. Uh, you've got homework that you hope you get done. You've got a test that you hope you get passed. But how many of us actually build into our day the anticipation of God's mercy? And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. And, and I want to talk about it today because I've been so impacted by the messages that we've had, say, over the last six weeks. Uh, and, um, uh, and I really think it's important, at least it was for me in my preparation, uh, to just kind of remind everybody of the kinds of words that we've been hearing in the last six weeks. Uh, for three of those last six weeks, uh, Adam's talked about what is our view of God. Do you remember how he's quoted out of the book of James, this phrase, this is actually in the Bible, mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you remember that? You remember that he read that? It's in the book of James. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not that there isn't such a thing as a day of judgment. It's not that there, you know, that the holiday's been called and, you know, and and everything goes, but that God's preference is for mercy. In fact, not just a preference, but mercy defeats judgment like 55 to 7. You know, it triumphs over judgment. And that's, that's one of the things. And um, what kind of view of God do we have? What is our view of God? Just yesterday in the USA Today, uh, a study was released, I think it was out of Baylor University, showing four different views that people had of God. How do we see God? And uh, this is a quote from USA Today, just yesterday. Uh, more Americans have this view of God than any other. It's 28%, so the others are down in the 20s or in the teens, but more Americans have this view of God, that God is someone engaged in history meeting out harsh punishment to those who do not follow him. That is the number one prevailing view of God in America, that God is involved in our affairs, that he's engaged in history, but that he is the kind of God that meets out punishment to those uh, who don't follow him. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, and Adam actually said this a couple of weeks ago when he was teaching about our view of God, he, sa- he said that if we, God's people, you know, the folks that are assembled together in the name of Jesus, if we see God as angry and judgmental, then it releases us to be angry and judgmental because we're just being like God. Do you see that? our view of God is really, really important. Do we believe that in the end, mercy triumphs over judgment, both for us and on behalf of other people? Do we, do we see God as angry and judgmental? Because if we do, it will unlock anger and judgment in us. So, you know, as, as we've looked at that subject over the last six weeks, you know, just, just take a moment, just pause and think, well, how do I really see God? Don't go for the Sunday school answer, Don't say he's all about chocolate bunnies and, you know, nice things and, you know, little, you know, warm fuzzies. You know, when you wake up in the morning, how do you see God? Not on Sunday morning, but on Thursday morning. What's our view of God? So we've worked on that over the last six weeks. And then we've also worked on the necessity of actually encountering God, encountering God. Adam used uh, this uh, illustration just last week. We can know facts about Barack Obama, first African-American president, loves to play basketball, smokes but tries never to smoke on camera, you know, uh, comes, comes from an American mother and a Kenyan father. You could build up all of this knowledge about Barack Obama, but you couldn't say, I know Barack Obama. In other words, there's a difference between knowledge about someone and knowledge of someone. And what we need most is we need to encounter God. The problem is, is that, you know, I can name all 66 books of the Bible, but have I ever met the Holy Spirit that inspired the 66 books of the Bible? I can quote, you know, uh, know, Bible verses like this, this, and this, but have those Bible verses actually brought me closer to the creator of the universe? We need to encounter God. In fact, encounter trumps our knowledge encounter trumps our knowledge what we need what I need and if I can dare say what you all need is you need encounters with God that are bigger than the answers in your head that's what I need I need encounters with God that I say look this is what I know I've seen him I've met him I've felt him I've interacted with him and you know Kim and I uh, 25 years married and and I put this on my blog this week. Uh, You know, after 25 years, I don't claim to understand her, but I love her and I know her. Do you understand? Understanding is overrated. Relationship, relationship is way more important. And, you know, and by the way, isn't it good to be married 25 years and you still have somebody who surprises you and has depths and and corners and, and whole parts of their personality that have yet to be explored? And that's true of a human being to whom I've been married for 25 years. How about an infinite God? Or will we simply satisfy, be satisfied with knowledge and, uh, about him? And the only way to have encounters with God is to make space for him. The only way to have encounters with God is to make room. It's to make room. And by making room, in particular, I think... There's two practical suggestions that we've looked at over the last three weeks, and that is silence and solitude. As much as I enjoy, you know, hopping around to the killers during our four-minute dance party, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is take the earbuds out and to just feel the breeze and listen to the world around. Because you know, he created it, and the Holy Spirit still broods, over the world that he's created. And so each one of us, you know, we can say, oh, I'm busy, I've got an hour and a half commute, I work in Louisville or Lexington. You know, we, we begin to think, you know, I've got, you know, stuff to study for. I, you know, man, when I get up in the morning, I feel already exhausted from whatever it was I did the night before. But even if it's only carving out a few moments of our day, we need to make space for it. And it doesn't have to be at the beginning of the day. It could be at the end of the day. There would be nothing better, in my view, than falling asleep while talking to God. Anybody ever feel guilty like I tried to pray, but I fell asleep? Well, what's wrong with that? What better way to nod off at the end of the night than to talk to your Creator? So make space for God. Silence and solitude. So that brings us to where we are today which is is if we can capture a view of God that shows that mercy triumphs over judgment, and if we're the kind of people who will make space for God and we really want to encounter him, then we can start to build the kind of life that anticipates his mercies every day. In fact, it says in the scriptures, not, not one we're going to look at today, but it says in the scriptures that God's mercies are new when? Every morning, just like a fresh donut. So it's a good thing. Well, today's text is going to be Psalm 130. This is the entire psalm. So if you brought a Bible today, good for you. You can follow along in your Bible. Or if you didn't bring a Bible today, good for you because we've got it up on the board. This is the entire psalm. And uh, if you would like to uh, gain points on your spirituality meter, you can tell all your friends the rest of the day that you spent, you know, Sunday morning reading an entire chapter of the Bible. You know, it's not like it's a chapter out of a John Grisham book, but it is a chapter. This is Psalm 130, uh, a song of ascents. And I'm just going to read it. You can follow along or you can listen, you know, however you want to encounter the Word of God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Well, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in God, in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. And Lord God, I just ask now that you would help me to speak as I ought. I ask, Lord, that whatever is on your heart today gets communicated. I ask that we would actually encounter you and not simply encounter facts about you. Lord, I ask all across this room that you would release gifts of faith, that the voice of doubts would just be quiet long enough for faith to be released in the room. In your name we pray, amen. Isn't it a beautiful psalm? I mean, it really is. I I, I love the psalms in particular uh, because they're real. I mean, if people feel like crap, they say that in the psalms. If people feel like shouting, they say that in the psalms. You know, the psalms are about as real as you can get, And this one in particular, it's called A Song of Ascents. Uh, The way that the the nation of Israel lays out geographically is that the city of Jerusalem sits on top of a mountain, kind of, don't think Rocky Mountains, kind of think more like Appalachian Mountains, uh, at an elevation of about 3,000 or 3,500 feet. And so the faithful people who live all across the country of Israel would go to Jerusalem, for various uh, festivals and feasts that were a regular part of the calendar. And it didn't matter if you lived in the north or if you lived in the south, everybody went up to Jerusalem because it was a city that was set on a hill. And so the song of ascents, there are 15 of them, uh, were, were probably songs that people sang as they were headed to Jerusalem uh, uh, for uh, whatever festival it was that they were going to attend. So one of the things that I like to imagine as I read especially these Song of Ascents is we know from the Gospels that Jesus as he was growing up as a boy went with his family to Jerusalem for some of the festivals, probably at least once a year and maybe multiple times a year. Can you imagine Jesus, the 12-year-old or the 14-year-old or the 16-year-old traveling with his family and as they're going, they're actually reciting or, or more likely even singing out these psalms? You know, you don't have to wait to get to church to sing out of anticipation for meeting with God. You know, what, what, is, you know, what is our Saturday night if you do Vineyard Saturday nights? Or what is our Sunday morning routine? You know, but to, but to actually sing in anticipation. My two older children, they're grown, they're, they're on their own, they have their own homes. Uh, I used to blast Andre Crouch's song Mercy. And, I, and I'm talking about back in the day, I had those component speakers that were about this tall, you know, and you'd put the CD in and then you'd crank it, you know, like to 11. And then, you know, they weren't even awake yet. And then Andre Crouch singing, mercy's what we need. And my son told me some time ago, he said, I always knew which day was Sunday morning because I was blasted out of bed by the phrase, mercy's what we need. You know, well, you know, what kind of anticipation, whether it's, whether it's going to church or whether it's, it's going up figuratively even into God's presence. This is; These are the kinds of songs that they sang as they were going. And I think that one of the things that we can get from this psalm in particular is that if you know that you are going to meet with God, and if you have a picture of God that is mercy triumphs over judgment, and if you really want to encounter him, you have every right to anticipate that you will be met by mercy. That you have every right to anticipate that you'll be met by the mercy of God. In fact, here's a description of Jesus that the prophet Isaiah gave 700 years before the time of Jesus. And that was this. It was a bruised reed, you know, one of those little, you know, plants that grows up out of the swamp. A bruised reed, he won't break it. Or a smoldering wick, he won't snuff it out. So even if we don't have our act together, even if it's all we can do to finally drag ourselves before God, you can anticipate that, that God wants to meet you, God wants to meet me with mercy. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've actually heard people say, well, you know, during the worship what I, sit, what I do is I sit and I think about all the things that I've done wrong during the week. Well, you know, go ahead and do that for the first song, but then throw them in the trash and then anticipate that you've, you've, you've presented yourself before God. And that he's just so glad to see you. In fact, I have two older children. I mean, we've got one that lives at home and two older children. And, you know, they could show up at any time. And the, the first reaction that I'm going to have is, hey, it's you. It's you. And Jesus painted this wonderful picture of a guy who took the family money, split town, wasted it on sex, drugs, rock and roll, came back totally broke, and only wanted a job from his dad, and what did the dad do? He threw a party. So the question today is, can you anticipate the mercies of God? Not about coming to church, but just about coming before God. And so I want to look at this psalm kind of piece by piece, uh, and I want, to, I want to look especially for the mercies of God. And the first few words are, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And by the way, in your Bible, you might notice that the first time the word Lord is like in all caps, and then the second time it's not. That's actually your Old Testament's way of differentiating different words for the Lord God. Whenever you see Lord, L-O-R-D, all in caps, the the psalmist or or whoever's saying it is actually using the name of God, a name that uh, might be pronounced Yahweh, or maybe you've heard it over the years pronounced Jehovah. One is a, is a Hebrew variant. The other is, a, is a, uh, a Greek and Latin variant. But it's actually the name of God. In other words, it's not just any God. It's not just a conception of God. When, when these people were climbing the hill to go meet with God, they were looking for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had introduced himself by name, To Moses, a God who says, this is my name forever. It is, I am that I am. I simply exist. And then the second time that we meet this word Lord, in the second line there, it simply means the one who's in charge, the boss. It means the one who rules and who reigns. So the first one is a personal name. The second one is more of a title. So he says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. I love this because you can cry out to God no matter what your situation. You see, it's out of the, it, this particular psalmist is crying out saying, Look, out of the depths of the Lord, or out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. You know, if life is the pits, you can cry out to the Lord. If life is going well, you can cry out to the Lord. The one thing that you don't have to do is get your act together before you cry out to the Lord. You don't even have to work yourself up into some kind of fake belief system to cry out to the Lord. You can come doubts and all to God. You can come with a messed up dirty life and all to God. You can come to God from out of the depths. Um, There were two young sisters that in World War II got thrown into a concentration camp even though they weren't Jewish. They got thrown into a concentration camp because they were hiding Jews from the Nazis. One of the sisters died and the other lived to tell the story of her family. Maybe you've heard of Corey Tenboom. Well, it was her sister Betsy who said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So wherever you are today, if things are going well, first of all, I'm really pleased on your behalf. If things are, eh, well... At least they're not horrible. And if things are really horrible, if you're facing financial pressures or relationships that drive you nuts, if you're facing just being dog-tired, out of the depths I cry to you, O oh Lord. And, and we actually cry out, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And what an interesting thing. This is, you know, this is somebody who is addressing their prayer to the Lord, and they say, let your ears be attentive. This is a question that every one of us needs to face. And again, not looking for the Sunday school answer, but when I cry out to God, do I believe that He really hears me? When I cry out, do, do I believe He really hears me? This psalmist says, says, Be attentive to my voice. There's an old movie with Peter O'Toole called The Ruling Class, and Peter O'Toole goes like totally, certifiably insane grows his hair out, grows the beard out, and says he's Jesus. And when the psychiatrist asks him, why do you think you're Jesus? He says, well, I think I'm Jesus because whenever I pray, I have the most vivid feeling that I'm talking to myself. right? I think it's pretty funny. Now, how many Christians, if we actually were realistic, say sometimes when I pray, I just feel like I'm talking to myself? This is a key question. For anybody that turns to God, is it possible that he is attending to our voice? Here's another possible objection to the idea that God would attend to our voice, and that is that my problems aren't as big as somebody else's problems, therefore he won't hear or I shouldn't ask. Have you ever done that math? It's like, man, there's a whole lot more going on in the world. I'm not sure I can bring my concerns about my children or my career or about the bills that I have to pay, that I can't bring those things to God. But you see, if he's a God worth worshiping, he's the God who created the universe by just speaking. And Jesus said it this way. When he was describing the heavenly father, he said that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the heavenly father taking notice and, not even, and that he's numbered the very hairs on our head individually. Now, if God can actually take note of my male pattern baldness, if God will take note of that, does he care about the daily stuff like, does my child feel loved and secure? Can I pay the bills? The career isn't working out the way that I wanted it to. I didn't study for the test. Oh, God, mercy. Right? God cares about all of those things. All right? And he does have an ear that is attentive. But the psalmist is smart. The first thing he cries out for is mercy, right? Here's the deal. I want justice for everybody else. I want mercy for me. Have you ever felt like that? You know, the prime example, as far as I'm concerned, is when you get flagged for doing 75 and a 55, right? Officer goes, you could even hear it like being the perforations tearing off rip, gives it to you, and he says, Mr. Clark, have a nice day. And off goes the officer, and there's Steve thinking, why isn't he out catching real criminals? <laughs> Steve wants justice in the world. But then when you go in front of the judge, what do you want? Mercy. Well, Your Honor, you see what happened was. It's interesting to note that the very place from which mercy comes is the same place from which judgment comes. When, I mean, just think of a traffic ticket. Who's the only person who can say not guilty, suspended, no worries? The very person who can say you're guilty, that will be $100 for the speeding ticket and $240 in court costs, which is what they're really after. I've had tickets. I've had all of those thoughts. The second part of this psalm, the psalmist says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs oh Lord who could stand but with you there's forgiveness therefore you are feared Do you ever notice that the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit actually uses the word if God if you kept a record of wrongs who could stand well this is the inspired word of God so what does that mean I'm sorry, what was that? Lori got it right. You see, the psalmist said, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? The revelation of this, of this particular sentence is God is not keeping score. He's not keeping a record of wrongs. It's good news. Now, the psalmist actually knows the score. The psalmist knows that if God were keeping score, he would be toast, Right? But the good news is, in fact, I, I wrote it down just as a, as a reference, Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Here is God's habit with sin. He takes my sin and he casts it into the sea. In other words, he gets it out of there. This is good news. God is not keeping a record of wrongs. And you go, well, that might be true for the good little boys and girls, you know, that are the Christians. But me, I'm not even sure that I buy into that there is a God or that he created the earth or that Jesus is God come to earth or that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You might have a whole bunch of questions. There's still good news. God is in the business of not counting men's sins against them. We're going to look at a New Testament verse right before I finish up in which the revelation, both old and new, is that God's not in the business of keeping score. And if you knew God wasn't keeping score, wouldn't it be easier to come to him? Wouldn't it be easier to anticipate? You see, this is amazing because we usually associate the Old Testament with smiting, judgment, mercy, fire, brimstone, earthquakes, Plagues, boils. My daughter's uh, been learning about Moses and the plagues in Egypt. She even asked me, Daddy, what's your favorite plague? <laughs> oh, man, you know, I'm down for the fiery hail. You know, but here's an example in the Old Testament. Here, and, of course, she's from the South, so she thought I said hail, right? But here's the Old Testament acknowledging. Here's the Old Testament acknowledging that, trium- that mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's the Old Testament acknowledging that our creator, like the prodigal father, longs to meet with us. He does. And then, this, this is amazing, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Huh. Now, I have meditated on that verse for about four weeks, ever since Psalm 130 just came in front of me. I, With you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. You know what I've concluded after four weeks? I'm still clueless. I really don't know, so I don't want to stand up here like a God expert. I know this. I know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know that the same seat that where the judge sits when Steve gets his ticket, the same seat from which judgment can come is the seat from which mercy can come as well. And I know it makes good sense that if there's somebody bigger than you that you treat them with respect. But in this particular passage where it says, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared, I, I don't know if it just means simple reverence like you know, it's a good idea to kiss up to the one who gives you forgiveness so I don't know. Maybe that's your homework. Maybe that's, maybe that's where you guys fill in the blank for me, but I know the psalmist understood that God's not keeping score, that there is forgiveness and that we should fear him. It's, it's not the kind of fear that, you know, causes us to run away from him. I know that for sure. All right, next passage. It says this, It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than the watchman wait for the morning. And without a doubt, this speaks to me about making space for God. You know, if somebody's important, you'll wait for him. Isn't it true? If someone says, I'll meet you at the restaurant at 2 o'clock, and so you wait there before they seat you until 10 after, but if that person's important, then you say to the server, "Well, go ahead and seat me, and I'll, I'll wait for them while I have a drink." How many of you know that if someone's important, you make room for them? If my two older children who don't live at home, show up at 10:30 at night and say, "Hey, it's too far of a drive back to where I live. Can I just crash here tonight?" I don't go, "Well, I don't know. That's awfully inconvenient." You just say, well, of course. You see, the heavenly father makes space for us and he asks us to make space for him. He asks that it's a a reciprocal relationship. And this is where being a disciple, a a, a follower of Jesus, not somebody that's just accumulating knowledge, but this is where a disciple needs to be intentional about their lives. And so so I wanna ask you, How do you make space for God in your day? How do you make space? It can be as simple as I know a businessman and, you know, granted, nerd alert. He's got one of those watches that he can program to beep at the top of the hour, right? But he's programmed his watch to beep at the top of the hour so that at the top of the hour, he can just take a moment and acknowledge the Lord, right? Or how many of us, I, I, am, I am hugely strung out on my iPod slash iPhone, and, you know, I've usually got earbuds in all the time. But how many of us take time to do nothing but just take the earbuds out and to just try to listen to the voice of the Lord? See, the amazing things the Apostle Paul said when he was speaking even to people who didn't know God he was speaking in Athens on a, on a location called Mars Hill, and he said this. He said, God is not very far from any one of us if we would just turn. And making space for God in our day could be as simple as this. Just turn. Just take a breath. Our days are busy, Right? I mean, there's children to raise. There's, there's things to do. There's work schedules. You know, there's parents that are coming and going. Susanna Wesley had, I don't know, 97 children. I don't know. It was 14 or 15 or 16. I, you know, I didn't actually even look it up. I just know she had a lot of children, right? Well, you know, can you imagine? 14 kids. Let's just pick 14. Can you imagine? Do you know how Susanna Wesley made space for God? She took her apron and she would throw it up over her head. And she had trained her children when mama has the apron over her head, just leave her alone for a moment. Now, she was probably also a wise woman that knows you don't throw your apron over your head for more than two minutes when you have 14 kids in the house. But that's how she made space for God. Two minutes, apron over your head. You see... It would be nice if, you know, we all had that special prayer chamber. It would be nice if, you know, everybody had the, you know, the luxury of so much leisure that you could say, yeah, I went to Tahoe for the weekend, went up on the mountain, man, and I just soaked God in. Who's with me? It would be nice, wouldn't it? But, you see, the psalmist says, I just anticipate him. I wait for him. I wait for him more than the watchman wait for the morning. Totally can't relate to that. I think I've seen five sunrises in my whole life. If I ever live by the ocean, it's going to be on the west coast so I can see the ocean sunset. It won't be on the east coast where I can see the ocean sunrise. But apparently, if you've got military duty and you get the shift from, I don't know, 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., you know, the watchman's waiting for the sunrise. Um, I don't know. I can't relate to that. I know this. We wait for God in solitude. We wait for a bit silence. And it says, in his word, I put my hope. In his word, I put my hope. Where do our hopes lie? For so many of us, our hopes are in some external event that's yet to happen. When my ship comes in, when I win the lottery, when my boss finally gives me the promotion, when my husband wakes up and finally does his share of the work around the house. I got news, none of that's ever going to happen. Where do we put our hope? And the psalmist said, I put my hope in your words. And that could mean the Bible. But more importantly, what has God ever spoken to you personally? I mean, I'm all for the Bible, you understand? I'm all for the Bible. I don't think that's what the psalmist was saying. He was saying, In your word I put my hope. What has God told you personally? Just take a moment and think of the times in your life where you felt like God whispered something to you. It's okay to hope in what God says. Interestingly enough, too, I I get to South America once in a while. In Spanish, apparently, the word for hope and the word for wait are like almost twins. See, we wait with hope, and because we hope, we wait And so then I like this. The psalmist, having expressed his personal feelings and his personal exploration with the mercies of God, then turns outward and begins to address everybody that's in the community of faith. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love, and with him there is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins." Do you know that if our experiences with God, if our encounters with God are real, there comes a point where it's no longer just about me and God personally, but where we finally turn and we begin to address everybody in the community of faith and say, I've been there, I've seen it, I've felt it, I've experienced it, and I'm telling you it's the best place to be. Put your hope in the Lord. Aren't you glad that the psalmist turns outward? if the psalmist hadn't turned outward, we wouldn't have this psalm. We wouldn't have the Holy Spirit-inspired encouragement that we do have. So, as I've said, and it was already mentioned in in the last part, this word hope is introduced. Where do we locate our hope? Is our hope in future events? Is our hope in the actions of other people? Here's a meditation for you. If you're taking notes or just on the off chance that you'll remember even one sentence from today. Okay, what would it look like if I placed my hopes in him? What would it look like if I placed my hopes in him? Not in an event or a person or a contingency or my 401k. What would it look like if I placed my hopes in him? Because with the Lord is unfailing love. Do you know the most oft-repeated phrase in the entire Old Testament? Again, the smiting book. The most oft-repeated phrase in the Old Testament is, his unfailing love lasts forever. It's repeated more than any other phrase in the Old Testament. His unfailing love lasts forever. Aren't you glad? See, even then... In a religious system that was founded on sacrifice and law and following the rules, the people who could see through the ink on the page to see the reality of the God who had uttered those words knew that He was a God of unfailing love. And I love this He Himself will redeem Israel. He Himself. I love that phrase. It's what He does, it's who God is. He himself will redeem Israel. Here's one of those gospel truths that you know, just fits in the little red brick church house with the center aisle, and that is we are beyond redeeming ourselves. He does it for us. He himself will redeem Israel. And this psalmist who is anticipating God's mercy is sure of it. And again, you know, sometimes it's the believers who think, well, I owe it to God to do better. Well, how about this? If you just encounter God, you'll find yourself doing better. He changes us as we encounter Him. And if you would, just flip over with me and look at Luke chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. And I'll tell you, I, this actually created an image in my mind. I don't know if it's true. I don't even know if, if it's uh, exegetically correct. And I'm glad Dr. Hirchin this week is in Atlanta at some big church meeting. Because I don't know if this is right. But I'll tell you, I read it, and I'd like to imagine it, okay? In Luke chapter 6, it's Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually a wonderfully long sermon that's recorded for us. But starting in verse 35, Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus is saying, But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Whoa. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then In the translation, I read it like a month ago was the same phrase from the psalm he himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked and when i saw the he himself i thought wait a minute i know that word combination and i went looking for it and then i found it in psalm 130 and i imagine that there's jesus at age 12 going up the the mountain to Zion, or at 14, or at 16. Or maybe he's just reading the scroll there in Nazareth as he takes a break from his work as a carpenter. And he reads there in Psalm 130 that he himself will redeem Israel. And later in the preaching of Jesus comes, he himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And then verse 36, be merciful. Even as your Father is merciful. You see, Jesus lived in the confident expectation of God's mercies, both for himself and for everyone else. Isn't that good? You know, we can't live in the expectation of God's mercy for other people until we're really convinced that God is merciful to us. Do you know that? If if you have trouble hoping for God's mercy for other people, it might be an indicator that you're not really convinced of God's mercy for you. Let me tell you something that happened to me just last weekend. My wife and I, well, most of my extended family, we were in Charlotte, and um, we were visiting Eric and Amanda Hurchin. Little Hurchin update. Amanda is 12 or 13 weeks pregnant. It. It's a wonderful thing. It was in vitro fertilization, but here's the good news is that the IVF doctor said, you only need to go to the OBGYN doctor. Just passed it off, said that's a pregnancy. So we went down to celebrate with Eric and Amanda, and and I had a chance to speak at Eric's church because uh, they'll let apparently anybody speak there. And then that night, they they gave me an offering for speaking, right? They gave me an offering for speaking. And then just right after that hadn't even gotten home from speaking uh, we go through a drive thru at a taco bell and there's this woman at the end of the drive through kind of like signaling to us right and so we start to pull up to the woman and uh, and you know uh, uh, the guy that was driving with me and I we immediately thought well she wants some money and you know it's like giving somebody a tip you know here's a couple of bucks but oddly enough she said it's getting cold tonight do you have a blanket and, you know, we're in a van, so we, you know, ask back, hey, anybody got a blanket? Anybody got a blanket? Anybody got a blanket? You know? And no, we don't. And she starts to cry, and she goes, it's getting on in the night, and it's cold, and I don't have any place to stay, and all I need is a blanket. Don't you know somebody that has a blanket? And we didn't have a blanket. And, you know, we were staying at a hotel. So when we got back to the hotel room, you know, we we had, you know, we'd, we had a couple of cars. We were staying in a hotel room. And in the other car, we had packed blankets for the kids, you know, to lay down. You ever do that when you're traveling? And I thought to myself, this very night, someone's been merciful to me by providing me this offering, this gratitude, because I spoke at their church. How could I not, how could I not give this person what they asked for? So out comes the blanket that was in the other car. Back we go to the, to the same place where that woman was, And sure enough, she was just sitting there, a homeless woman with three plastic bags, you know, with all of her worldly possessions. So I get out of the car, and I wrap her in the blanket, and I give her a kiss on the cheek. And she just starts to cry. And she says, God bless you, you came back. And I said, well, how could I not? You know, people have been merciful to me. I need to be merciful to you. I said, what's your name, sweetheart? She said, my name's Gail. And she started to become a person. I said, well, Gail, I'm pleased to meet you. My name's Ray. Is there anything else I can do for you? And she said, I need She said, "I need to find a homeless shelter. I said, well, I've got a cell phone we could call. And, and then she realized, like, I was in for the rest of the night, if need be. And she started to back away. And she said, no, I'm, I'm sure I can find one tomorrow. And this blanket will keep me warm tonight. I said, I'll do anything you need. She goes, no, you've done enough. Thank you. I said, do you have any money for food? And we'd given her, like, couple of bucks out the window and she goes well i've got what you gave me and so i reached in my pocket and whatever other cash i had which wasn't you know like three or four bucks i gave that to her and then off we went but how could you not you see when you're convinced that you've received mercy it then becomes your joy to show mercy And it was like a real object lesson for me. I mean, you know, all I did was stand up and talk like this, and they gave me an offering. And then, you know, uh, 45 minutes after we left the place, there's somebody that needed a blanket. Well, the math was easy. I had been abundantly supplied by the church that I had just talked to, and then somebody else needed just a little bit of supply. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, but the problem is, is that in our Christian life, you see, we're called to be the, the ambassadors for Christ, the reconcilers, the people who have received mercy and the givers of mercy. And I'm sure of this. If it's difficult for us to extend mercy to other people, it, it's probably because we're not convinced that God has shown us mercy. Let's look at one last passage and then I'll be done. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hmm. Hmm. And I love this. I love that the Apostle Paul, who had been a violent man, the Apostle Paul, who received the mercy of God even when he didn't cry out in his distress, he's discussing his ministry or his life. And how many of you know you don't have to be full-time preacher man to have a ministry? He's discussing his ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 16, and he says, so from now on, we, and, and he meant me and my pals, okay, he says, from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Wow. They don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view, you see, when the lady asking for a blanket suddenly changed into Gail, she just wasn't a homeless person. She was Gail, right? And though we regarded Christ once in this way, we do so no longer. You can have a worldly view of who Jesus is. Worldly view would be that he's unattainable, that he's perfect, and that he's part of the judgment squad. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God. And here's where I want to go. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he describes it. You could circle the word reconciliation at the end of verse 18. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that God, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. That's what we're called to do. You see, he himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. It's one thing to show mercy to the nice guys. It's another thing to show mercy to the ungrateful and to the wicked. But that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And it's impossible if our view of God is that he's angry and judgmental. It's also impossible to do unless we've had encounters with God. And I trust that in some small part that just by looking at Psalm 130 that we're beginning to have an encounter with God today and here. So if it's possible, what I'd do is I'd like to have the ministry team come on up But don't be distracted by the fact they're coming up. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to make us mindful of the mercies that we've received. To make us mindful of the mercies that we've received. Because one of the most sane things that we can do is we can remember God's goodness to us. We can remind ourselves that he's not the mighty smiter, waiting to hit the smite button. And then it can empower us to show mercies to others. So we're not going to be in a hurry as we pray. Is that all right? And there might even be long, awkward silences by which I actually expect that the Holy Spirit will whisper in your ear. And let's ask him to remind us of his mercies. Can we do that? Oh, Jesus. You really are kind and grateful. You're kind to ungrateful and wicked people. And Lord, I want to tell you that I was an ungrateful and wicked person and that in some measure I'm still ungrateful and wicked, but by your mercy, you're changing me as I encounter you. So Lord, I want to thank you for your mercies in my life. And right here, just just insert the mercies of which you are sure. Don't make anything up, but say, Jesus, I want to thank you for the mercies in my life. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for putting me in a family that teaches me love. Thank you, Lord, that you provide for all my needs. Whatever mercies you know that he's given you, Holy Spirit, would you remind us of the mercies that we've tossed away like they were loose change? And more importantly, Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would fill us with hope and anticipation of mercies yet to come. feeling he's here and he's speaking and if we will we can encounter him we don't even have to understand what it's all about well thanks Jesus thanks that you're so good Thanks that you're just just a fountain of goodness. Amen. And um, his mercies could continue through some prayer opportunities. You may want to receive prayer for something that the Lord's whispered to you, but um, these guys are trained in our ministry model, and they either want to speak what God's given them or they, they, they want to be available to pray with you. So, Travis, you got anything? Seth um during worship it's really felt like the Lord said that the drought is over for you and that um there's going to be you're going to start to experience this new level of intimacy with him and you're going to be more aware of his presence in your life through this this next season in your life so Mm. I had the impression from the Lord that there might be someone here today who has like tingling or numbness um in their right arm and it might be nerve related does that describe anybody here Okay. One, two. Um there's a couple. Um if you want to receive prayer for that, I'd love to pray for you or anybody here, so Yeah. Yeah, the rules are you don't have to go to the person who gave the word because it's the God behind the word. Four people, no waiting. Nothing. Good? And I want to assure you that he prays really well, even with one arm tied in front of his back. All right. Well, listen, Adam and Heather will be back here next weekend, and um, I'm just so thrilled that they had a chance to get away like I had a chance uh, this past weekend. And um, whatever it is that you're anticipating, like me with my fantasy football, I hope that your, your anticipations are good ones. May God bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Mass is ended. Go in peace. God be with you. And also with you. Good. And these ministry guys are here to pray for you if you need any prayer.